day marks six years here. I started preaching here six years ago today. And uh, there have been a lot of topics that we have discussed, but probably one of the most interesting topics that I've taught on, because it's touched me the most deeply, is this one. This year, God gave me the word rest for our church. And um, in that, thank you. And in that, God gave me this challenge that this was supposed to be a year of rest. And uh, it's been really kind of interesting for me because there are a lot of topics in the Word of God that I've studied at length and... I feel like I kind of have a grasp on, but when when God told me that he thought it should be your rest, first of all, I explained to him all the things that I thought we needed to get done this year, because that's kind of how we are. You know, when God tells us some things, sometimes we feel like we're going to the board table with God and we get to negotiate. And uh, that isn't always the way that God does things, and that isn't always his approach. And so I, I decided that maybe I should take a little bit of a look at what this word meant. And, and, and today is an interesting day because today is about two-thirds of the way through the year. And so if we're going to end the year well with this word, I felt that maybe it was time for a checkup. Now, I know some of you don't like the word checkup. Usually that involves going to the doctor and having him explain to you you no longer get to eat anything fun for the rest of your life. That's kind of what you feel like. Or or you feel like when you have to go for that inspection with your little older car that this is the year that J Strack is going to say to you, it's really time to upgrade. You know? The idea of any form of a checkup, for the most part, is not something that we look forward to. I, I never see a person with a smile on their face going, I get to go to the doctor today. It's going to be awesome. I can hardly wait to get to the dentist's office. But we need a checkup today. We need to take a look at what we've been learning about this idea of rest, and we need to start asking if the God of the Bible that calls us to rest is being faithful in his promises about rest. It's time for a checkup. Now, I know that some of you in this room are going, well, but we weren't here for the first eight months of the year. We, we don't know what you're talking about. Well, two things that we'll do is we'll, we'll give you a little bit of an overview, but you can also go to our webpage and you can listen to all the sermons on this. Um, they're all there. And I think that this is one of the more challenging topics because we regulated this topic of rest to this idea of the Sabbath. And since we're no longer in the Jewish time of Sabbath keeping, and as our society has changed, we, we've either taken a real legalistic view of this, or we've completely thrown this out. And we, we live in this pattern that isn't restful in our lives. Especially here in the Adirondacks. Those of you who call this area home, you know, I was in the meeting with somebody this week and in the middle of the meeting she says, I'm sorry, but I have to take a phone call. 
because I have an Airbnb coming in and they're calling right now. And I say, well, why do you do that? She says, well, you know how we are here. You got to do about six things or you can't make it here. And so the lifestyle of being an Adirondacker, of the lifestyle of someone here in the North Country, you know it's not just about a a 40-hour-a-week job. And so we naturally are people that even when we want to go do something that is recreational, it isn't sometimes very restful. What are you going to do? You know, I was talking to, to someone yesterday and they said, my son climbed six of the high peaks last week. That doesn't sound restful to me. Maybe it was for him. And then he got in his car and went to work. You know? So let's take an idea of this rest. First of all, we need to remember that rest is Christ's invitation to us. Christ said to the crowd, he didn't just say it to his disciples, he said it to people in general. He said to me, come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So we know that somehow in the coming to Christ, one of the realities of that relationship is supposed to be rest. But then we've got to do this. We've got to ask a question. How do you picture rest? What does it look like? If we don't know what we're kind of aiming at, we don't know if we're going to get there. For some people, rest is a hammock on a sunny day with a little drink with an umbrella in it. That's really what they think of. That's their idea of rest. For other people, it's sitting in an Adirondack chair facing a beautiful lake with the mist on the mountains. We have these pictures in our mind of what rest is, and yet we have this idea from Scripture of rest, and what is the picture of rest that it gives there? Because if it's about hammocks and drinks with little umbrellas in it, then Corona is the answer, because every one of their ads looks like that, right? And some of you are going, oh, but that's what the world thinks. If, if rest is the second picture, then everybody in the whole world should vacation in the Adirondacks, right? Because we live in the picture of rest. But the problem is, we're not at rest. We live here. We function here. And as all of these people come in, quote, to rest... All we can think is, when are they going to leave so we can have our community back? <laughs> right? You know? Because they're affecting our rest because we have to wait two minutes to turn left. You know? We can't park right in front of a price chopper and shop anymore. We, we have to park way down the aisle. And if we want to go down and down and pick something up, oh my goodness, we better drop somebody off because we'll never ever get to the spot. But this is an important question. How do we picture rest? What is that picture supposed to look like? How are we supposed to visualize this thing that God has called us to? Was Jesus calling everybody to own a hammock? Or a pair of Adirondack chairs? What was Jesus calling them to? 
And so as we investigated this idea of rest, we found out that there were three aspects to rest. The first aspect to rest was soul rest. It's interesting. I didn't even think about what I was doing, but several months ago, because something was going on, and usually the rest plaque sat here, I put it at the foot of the cross. And this is so appropriate. You see, rest always starts at the foot of the cross. That's where it begins. It's in an offer that God gives us to save our souls. That's where rest really takes place. That's where it begins. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior, if you've never been honest with the fact that you are standing in opposition to God, that there is a wall of sin, of disobedience, of rebellion that stands between you and God, then you're never going to experience the other kinds of rest because it always starts with the rest of the soul. And so you have to decide what you're going to do with the cross of Christ because he says, come to me, you all are weak and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And he goes on to say, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, the reality is, is if we ask Jesus Christ to be our Savior, He reorientates us at the most important point, which is the soul, the heart of who we are. And so my first question for all of us today always has to start here. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior? Have you humbled yourself before a God that really has an expectation that you have to be a certain thing and said, I am not what you want me to be. My rebellion against you stands, makes me stand opposed to you, but your son died so that he could be my savior so that I could have a relationship with you. And so I have asked you to be my savior. If you've never done that, you need to start right now. This could be your moment. You need to ask Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior. And it's as simple as a prayer that says, Dear Jesus, please forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I need you to be my Savior. And the Word of God says in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says that if you believe in Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you're saved. But that's where it starts. It has to start for every single one of us with soul rest at the foot of the cross. You see, you have to decide whether or not you believe that Jesus is Savior and Lord. And you have to start there. Rest always starts there. Take a look at that verse again that he said, Come to me, all you who are our labor and our heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you're saying, well, is he turning me into an ox? No. The yoke of Christ is the teaching and the truth of the whole of what he says that we're supposed to be. It's willingness to say, I don't completely understand truth, but you are truth, God, and I'm going to take on your truth, and I'm going to live by your truth. 
But it starts at the foot of the cross in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the first question that we always have to ask if you're going to be at rest is do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? If you prayed that simple prayer, you began that today. It's that simple. Now, there are steps beyond that. We want to help you in that. We would love for you to take one of those yellow cards in front and just tell us that you've done that and let somebody know. But it begins with soul rest. But it's more than soul rest. The Word of God teaches us that rest that we are called to as believers is physical rest. You're saying, well, where do you get that? Well, when Moses stood at the mountain and explained to the people that there were some expectations that God had of them, there were Ten Commandments, and one of those was a commandment to rest. And so this is defined as God's invitation to interrupt work, and and that's hard. You know, our family was supposed to go away today and tomorrow to celebrate our youngest son's birthday this week. Um, he's turning 14. He's the tallest one in the family now. It's really kind of interesting. But something went wrong with where we thought we were going to go. And so all of a sudden, we don't, can't go there. And had to cancel some reservations, and it's not going to work out. And you know what? Do you know what my first thought was? Well, if we're not going, i got some things to get done. If we're not going, I've got this project I'm working on, this build-out that I'm working on, and where can I go today to buy lumber so that I could keep going? My first thought wasn't, oh God, you've interrupted my schedule and my work. See, it's an opportunity to experience the miracle of provision that says, even though I could work all the time, you can take care of me even if I interrupt my work. It's a pattern of Scripture. It's God's example. God created the world in six days, and what did He do on the seventh day? He rested. And when He gave them the Ten Commandments, the the pattern that He said the Ten Commandments was supposed to be based on was the command was was the pattern of how he created the world. It, it allows us to experience God as our provider. And so the question I have for you is, if you've been willing to rest, has God provided? Has he been enough? Has he taken care of you? Or did, does the other reality exist? He's saying, well, Pastor Jim, that's an interesting concept, but I, I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm ramping up to rest. Are, are you seeing that sometimes God isn't taking care of you because what you've said is, dear God, I don't need to follow your pattern. I'll take care of myself. The words of that song that we put up and we thought about We're not running to his arms. We're saying, I'm running to my arms. I'm running to my arms. I am enough. I can take care of myself. If I just work a little harder, if I work a little longer. You see, and and the idea here, this isn't about numbing or chilling out. This is about a willingness to say, God, I, I trust you. 
And so I'm going to let you interrupt the work of my life so that I can love my family and I can love you better. And I can be okay with it. You see that command in Exodus. In six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that are in them and rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I, I, I'm not saying that all of a sudden, you know, this isn't legalism where all of a sudden we run up to somebody who's mowing lawn on Sunday and go, you are breaking the Sabbath! No. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you have to figure out the cadence of your life and you've got to build rest into it because that's God's biorhythm. And in it you're saying, I I trust you, God. There was a mom once that was complaining to her daughter that she had too much to do. And so her daughter said, I'll pray for you. She was just a little girl. And this was her prayer. Dear God, just help her get things done quicker. <laughs> but this prayer's bigger. Dear God, I'm going to give myself permission to spend time with you and my family and to interrupt my work because you truly are my provider. And in this, you will take care of me. Emotional rest is another part of this. That's a shifting of my perspective in the middle of life's challenges. If I were to take the picture that I think that this is, this is sitting in a hammock with the drink and the umbrella during a storm. That's what it is. It's this idea that, that instead of having to run from my circumstances and run from the challenges in life, I believe that God is sovereign and He placed them all here and He's going to take care of me and I can be at rest even in the middle of hell. You see, a lot of people haven't figured this one out yet and so they feel like when things get really, really hard that they need to do something to bring rest. It might be in medicating themselves somehow. It might be in distracting themselves somehow. It might be in spending money they don't have. I don't know what it is, but instead of finding emotional rest in God, they spend more time praying to God to change their circumstances than trusting in the God that created those circumstances and the fact that they can be at rest in the midst of them. You see, if you don't have soul rest, emotional rest is absolutely impossible. Yeah, you can live out a cadence of physical rest, but emotional rest is impossible because if you are not connected to the sovereign God who's sovereign in all things and takes care of all things, if you don't believe that the God of heaven crafts every circumstance of your life to make you perfect and complete and not lacking anything in James, then you're going to have a problem and your soul's not going to be at rest. And what you're going to do instead of creating rest is you're going to create more turmoil. Your solutions are going to create greater problems. Does this make sense? Just for a minute, think of your picture of rest or the picture of what you do when you think you need emotional rest. The first sermon I preached when I came here was Psalm 121. 
And it says this, I will go to the mountain. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And I said that that has to be the default of our lives. I didn't understand the beauty of that because I had lived in the mountains like this before. Everywhere you go, you come up to Lake Placid, don't you? That's what it's like in Jerusalem. Every direction you come from, you go up. And that's why the person wrote that Paul, that David wrote that psalm that way is because he was saying, I'm going to go up to where God is. And so every time you hear or that you feel that little bit of a, a need to take uh, to swallow because you can tell that the elevation changed. We need to have that happen in our emotions where we take that gulp and we say, I'm going to go to the mountain. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. My question for you, as we are eight months in, how is the Lord taking care of you emotionally this year? What are you learning? How is your relationship being changed? My spirit was checked even as I came in. I received an email from someone that I love very dearly, and they're going through a situation, and I decided it was my fault. Because see, that's what I do. That's emotionally what I do. And they said, it had nothing to do with you. There was a bit of me that was disappointed. Because I thought the world revolved around me. But God, what is God doing emotionally to you this year? What, what has he done? What circumstances has he created just so that he can show you that he is sovereign and mighty and he is taking care of you even though you feel absolutely out of control? You see, those are the three kinds of rest that you as individuals need to experience. You need to embrace these scriptural ideas and figure out what they mean for you. And the hardest part of all this is there's been a legalism in some of this. And so we've decided what works for us has to work for everybody. I'm not saying this. I'm saying that you need to wrestle with rest yourself and decide what that looks like. You need to make sure that you have soul rest. You need to come to a place where you have understand cadences of physical rest you know even night and day is the first thing god created it's a cadence of rest we have to sleep sometimes and when you live sleep deprived all of a sudden it always catches up with you you can do it for so long but all of a sudden it will always catch up with you This is what the Word of God says about emotional rest. That your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men. Okay? But, on, but in the power of God. When you see God as sovereign and mighty and powerful, you can have emotional rest. But the smaller your God is, the harder drama is to handle. You see, God can be rest no matter what the background is. No matter what the circumstances are. But this year has been bigger than this. Because the call to rest wasn't just for your personal life. The call to rest was for us to embrace what Scripture in the Old Testament calls a Sabbath year. 
And a Sabbath year would be every seventh year, the people of Israel were supposed to do three things. The first thing that they were supposed to do is take an extended time of physical rest where they stand still instead of move forward, waiting on the Lord's provision and fruitfulness. Every seven years, it was a very agrarian society, and on the seventh year, they weren't supposed to plant anything. It said in Scripture what they were supposed to do is let the land rest for a year, and whatever grew on it was God's provision for him for that year. I was talking to somebody about gardening this last week, and he says that one of the things I do is composting, and we always have this Halloween party, and I use all the guts from all those those pumpkins as a part of my compost. And he said, so every year I have pumpkins in the garden. He didn't plan on them being there. They just end up there. We've got to believe, and we've been trusting for this year, that God would provide for us, even though we aren't doing new things, even though we're not planting any new ground. We're just basically maintaining who we are this year. And I can tell you that God has provided and that God has been faithful. Now, it's been hard. And every once in a while, one of you will look at me and say, isn't this a year of rest? And I'll go, oh. Because I'm a planner. There's always something new to do. There's some, always something extra to do. And to take this year of rest has been hard for me. So I've had emotionally go back to the Lord because my, my idea of rest is you're always still moving forward. You know, I rest in the car when we're driving somewhere. You know, that's my idea of rest. We're still in motion. You know, that's the first part of rest. The second part of rest was on the seventh year, at the end of the year, anybody that had been a slave to someone else because they got in a financial position, that was the only way they could take care of things, and they became an indentured slave inside the brothers and sisters, they would be released from slavery on the seventh year. See, when I brought up the idea of rest, I just thought that meant we weren't supposed to do anything, but then I started studying it, and I was thinking, wow. God is calling us to more. Some of you started this year as slaves to something. And God has been picking away at you over this year. And he's saying, I no longer want you to be a slave to this area of sin, to this habitual problem that has been a part of your life. And God has been doing that. You see, God is calling this church to release. And part of the release comes in us turning away from sin and towards God. That's what repentance is. It's that action of turning towards God. So I ask, what is God doing in your lives? Were there things that you used to get away with that all of a sudden this year, maybe you haven't overcome them, but at least you're really concerned about them that you didn't used to be. Maybe maybe I believe that this year he wants to release you. He doesn't want you to stay in the midst of that. Even if you're just visiting today, maybe there's an area of your life. God is saying that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And he's saying that I want you to live a life that is free. Your freedom can begin today. But what is God doing to bring freedom in our midst? 
and release us from slavery. But it was more than slavery, you know, and, and it was also a release from debt. I think this is just such a fascinating thing. I've read several articles about it is that this was God's economy of making sure that there was always a new start for people. Have any of you ever struggled with debt in your life? Do you know what I'm talking about? And uh, so when David Ramsey gets on the f- on the radio, you just go, oh, stop, <laughs> you know, because you would love to not have any debt. Or, or maybe you've even had the joy of watching some of your friends. Maybe they even posted, I've had some of my friends post it on Facebook. We are debt free today. Woohoo! And they're so excited. But there's another kind of debt that I believe was the picture God gave me is that some of us are in debt to other people because we have a spirit of unforgiveness in relationships. And the debt that exists between us is a debt of bitterness where we've given ourselves permission to be, because that's what debt is called in the Scripture. It says that the debtor, is a slave to the lender. And we've allowed ourselves to be in this position of being a slave. And I believe that God wants to use this year for us to live free in our relationships as never before. So as we are at the two-thirds mark, my question for you is, is God making you freer in relationships? Are there places, have you had circumstances this life where all of a sudden you've been reminded, yeah, I I do kind of have a, I've allowed myself to have a spirit of unforgiveness there. Or, or, or maybe you're wrestling with God and saying, you know, I kind of have a right here. I, I told you, I think last week about seeing this picture of this woman from my childhood and realizing that God had released me from the bitterness that I felt towards her because I just looked at her and said, oh, what a sweet little lady. Instead of like, you are the person. You know, you know, she's no longer a poster child of unforgiveness in my life. But what is God doing? Because he wants to protect us. He wants us to be free. Free from sin, but also free to love each other instead of having these walls. Remember what Ephesians called them? What did it call it? They called them the walls of hostility that we let exist between us. I don't know what the heart what it looks like for you, but I do know that that's a challenge for this church. We have to move beyond history and drama and something that maybe even happened 30 years ago that we still remember. God is calling us to release this debt. As I was thinking about this, uh, I, I thought, what other passages, one more time, do you talk about rest? And there's this interesting passage right in the middle of the book of Isaiah. And I I don't know if you know this, but many of the scholars believe that the reason that they had to be in bondage as long as they were was God was redeeming the rest that they didn't take. They didn't take the Sabbath year. They didn't live at rest with God. And so God put them in bondage for a period of time to kind of even out the balance sheet of rest. 
But there's this place, it starts in in Isaiah chapter 28. In Isaiah chapter 28, they are beginning to feel the pressure from the Assyrians that put Israel into bondage. Now Judah's feeling the pressure from them. And so they're trying to figure out what to do. What are we going to do? Because we feel this pressure that Assyria is going to come and gobble us up. And so they did what everyone does when that, that kind of a situation happens. They thought that maybe what we need to do is something political. And so they decided what they needed to do is form an alliance. And so think about the irony of this. They decided if they formed an alliance with Egypt, okay, the place they were in bondage, and that God had to release them from captivity, that if if they took on an alliance with Egypt, that that could protect them. And Isaiah went to them, and Isaiah said this. He said, don't do that. The Lord is telling me to not do that. And there are those times where each one of us, we know that God is calling us to rest and all these kinds of things, but we look at God's idea and we say, that's way up here. I can only jump this high. What you're asking seems impossible. It doesn't, it doesn't seem logical. I can't do that. And so I'm going to do what people who can jump this high can do. And so I'm going to look for an Egyptian solution instead of a God solution. He said, don't do that. And he, he goes on and he gives this interesting thing that he says that's happened. Here's what's happened is your leaders have turned from me. And he says, and precept by precept and line by line, a little bit by a little bit, they are sending you down this road. And what's going to happen is you're going to let these other people lead you and they're going to speak in a strange voice and they're going to try to teach you how they are right and they're going to do it precept by precept, line by line, a little bit like a little bit. But I don't want you to do that. In fact, he challenges them to this. In chapter 30, verse 15, he says, In returning and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. He's saying, if, if you will just trust in me, that will be. But then he says the thing that is the scariest thing in the world. He says, but you are unwilling. You know, this challenge to rest this year has not been the easiest challenge. Some of you have told me we need an easier word next year. Like, we give. I surrender. You know, it's not been an easy word. But my concern for me and for you is that we are unwilling to enter God's rest. We're not willing. Because it's hard. It's awkward. It doesn't feel right. There's a way that we've done things for a long time, and you're telling me to change the rhythm of my life. I've never done that dance before. That's one of those newfangled dances. I don't know how to do that. But God is calling all of us to rest. And in rest, we're going to find salvation and quietness. Don't you want those things? But we've got to change the picture. We've got to put God back in the picture. Because a lot of us are looking for rest without Him instead of with Him. I was looking for a picture that I was going to put up on the screen of two Adirondack chairs watching a storm. 
And I'm sitting in one chair. And Jesus is sitting in the other chair. And I'm overlooking at him and saying, so what are you going to do? You've got a really big issue here. How are you going to handle this? I'm waiting. But listen to Christ, God's response just a little later on in Isaiah. This is what he says to us. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show you mercy. For the Lord is a God of justice. And blessed are all those who wait on him. You see, rest is an invitation from God. And I think the most important picture you need to have is His attitude and His perspective on waiting for you to enter. Look at the words there. Aren't they beautiful? God waits to be gracious to us, to give us what we don't deserve. That's what grace is, right? God waits to do that. God exalts to show us mercy that we don't probably even deserve. You know? We're so sure that God, when we we turn to Him, is going to just explain the obvious to you. How many grew up with that? I did. Dad's teaching me to pound in a nail. I bend it over. What does Dad say? You bent the nail. Am I not aware of this? That's what we think God's going to be like. But He has mercy for us. Because God's justice was absolutely changed by this cross. Because this cross gives us what we don't deserve. And God desires to give it that. So I don't know where you're at in your journey of rest this year. I don't know if you've even considered But I want you to know at this moment that when God looks at our grade card, all he's saying is, I still really want to help you. The invitation is still open to you. There is no deadline. There's no expiration date. Rest is is still yours. Rest will always be at the foot of the cross for you. Let's pray. To God in explaining how somebody else was going to teach the Israelites you were also explaining how you wanted to teach them and us. God, you are building the truth into us, precept upon precept, line upon line, a little here or a little here there. God, because of the fact that you desire to be gracious and give us mercy, I pray that this will be another day where instead of pausing and wondering what to do, 
we will simply trust you more, say yes to you today, and work for you to give us more than a picture of rest, but a lifestyle of resting at the foot of the cross in the arms of your Son who loved us and gave his life up for us. God, may this year be pivotal as we didn't seek to do something for you, but we stood and waited to you to do something in us. Lord, help us to say yes to you and help us to find rest. We pray this in your name. Amen. Will you stand with me and as these guys close us in the song and um, I and some of the prayer counselors are available to pray with you this morning about whatever need that you have today. If you have started your relationship with the Lord, please fill out that yellow card and hand it on to one of us so we can know about the soul rest that God gave you today. Let's, let's close in song.